as long as this isn't the first time you're listening to the podcast. And if it's your first time, welcome. We are so excited you're here. But veteran listeners know that you are a ruckus maker, which means you are a leader that thinks outside the box, that challenges status quo, all for the sake of making positive change in education. Now, that is how a ruckus maker shows up and how he or she acts. What I haven't thought about much until today's conversation is what are the conditions that help a ruckus maker thrive? I now know part of that answer thanks to my guest, Pete Hall. And we begin our conversation today discussing the conditions that allowed him to be a ruckus maker. Now, this was in the frame of uh, being a turnaround leader, and ruckus makers are turnaround leaders and so much more. You can go to a high-performing school that doesn't need to be turned around at all and still make a ruckus. But I just want to highlight that because that's the entry place to our conversation where Pete was turning around a school that needed help and he did what he needed to do despite the resistance. So I think you'll enjoy that conversation quite a bit. Pete also has a book out called Chasing the Show that is a fictional book and it's a young adult book as well. And I think that listeners of the show would really enjoy the book uh, as well as their students. So we'll have that linked up for you in the show notes. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Like I said, this is a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after some short messages from our show sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Apply now for our June 22 cohort at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Makers. I am here with Pete Hall, who I'd have to go back and look. It's been a long, long time. Like, your BLBS lore, like, I, I, one of the earliest podcast episodes ever. And I'm, I was so impressed back then by what you're doing. And I'm happy to reconnect with you now uh, to tell a little bit more of your story. So if, if you are new to Pete, Pete Hall is a capacity builder driven to impact others' lives in a profoundly positive way. He channels his experiences as a school principal 
life coach, and small business owner into manageable lessons for continuous growth, personal improvement, and positive mindset. Tenacious, courageous, and incorruptible, Pete shares his optimism, joy, and practical application of strategies for getting the most out of yourself. And we're here today to talk about his latest book, Chasing the Show. Pete, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. I'm glad to be back. It has been a minute since we uh, conversed at length on the show. It was years and years ago, way back in the OG. It was way back in the day. Seriously, I I, I might look it up while we're talking just because I'm super curious. <laughs> I should have had that prepared already. Um, but for like the really, really old shows, it's actually, I have it on a different spreadsheet. There's a longer story. So there's a reason why I haven't uh, dug up that information yet. But let's let's get to let's get to you. And, you know, I'd love to start with a story of you making a ruckus. And I remember in our pre-chat, you talked about your team deciding to make change in an underperforming school. And the the systemic structures actually didn't allow you to change the schedule in the way you wanted to. But you did it anyway, if I remember correctly. So can you, yeah. t- can you tell us that story? Yeah, well, I was a, a named building principal of a school that was underperforming and needed some support, needed some help. And uh, one of the things that we as a team did is we investigated some research that schools need for grounds, et cetera, et cetera. And one of, the, one of the big shining lights that came out of that was that we need time to collaborate as adults as professionals, we need to sit down at the table together and we need to work some things out together. So let's build some collaboration time into our schedule. And nowadays, most schools have collaboration time built into their calendars, right? It's it's like that, but ours wasn't and our district didn't have that. So what we did is we, my assistant principal and I each agreed to take about 300 elementary kids apiece uh, I would take him into the multi-purpose room and he would take the other 300 out into the field and he would run some kind of coordinated athletic activities. And I would do some kind of, I, now I kind of refer back to it as a song and dance, but we did some kind of lesson, some kind of competition, some kind of academic challenge, some kind of something, right? Where we were act, using our minds together. And so we freed up the last 45 minutes of the day on Wednesday for our teachers to meet. And then the assistant principal and I dismissed all the kids and the teachers had the, the rest of their 30 minutes of their contracted time. So they effectively had 75 minutes of time to work together. Well, that was great. And then we found out, realized that, well, gosh, we'd like to be in those meetings too. We'd like to participate. So is there a way that we could maybe, you know, not have the kids there for those last 45 minutes? And what we ended up doing is as a staff, we agreed that we would release the kids 45 minutes early on Wednesday to go home. And to offset the loss of instructional minute, everyone agreed, well, we'd start the day 10 minutes early every day. So we got a net plus five in instructional minutes over the course of a week. And because we were all buses or we were all walking, sorry, we didn't have any buses. uh, We didn't have to deal with transportation or anybody else to do that. We just, we made that decision as a staff. My supervisor at the time kind of did the look the other way, as long as this works, It'll yeah. be fine. So we were, we were able to do that and we were able to uh, create that time. And, and sometimes, you know, and you know this better than anybody that 
if the system, if the structures aren't equipped to handle what we need, we change them, we adapt them, we find a way around them. We, I mean, that's what being a ruckus maker is all about is, is finding a way to do what's right. Is what's right for kids, what's right for our school. So the, you know, the results speak for themselves. Our school did really, really well. And then uh, about two years after that, the district embraced a model in which all schools released 45 minutes early and teachers had collaboration time. So we feel pretty good about the way it all played out. Yeah, I think that's like the hallmark of a ruckus maker is doing it doing it anyway. And then what's interesting is things that sometimes you might even uh, be called to task for gets adopted after, you know, after your tenure is over. So that's, that's really interesting, you know, that you had that experience and it was a great move for kids. We did something similar uh, back in Chicago and teachers make the minutes so that uh, every other Wednesday, kids would leave by 1230 and we had a big block of time for collaboration too. So um, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, Danny, you know that the research on that is that effective turnaround leaders are given enough rope mm. that they can they can get themselves out of the yard, but not go completely rogue. Right. Gotcha. So, I mean, you know how big your yard is and a lot of a lot of school districts, a lot of systems like to keep their people in the yard. Don't don't leave the yard. And effective leaders in those in those turnaround settings need more rope than that. They need more space to stray. They need to be able to go outside the yard and not so far that they'll just get completely lost out mm-hmm. somewhere in the, the Netherlands, right? Okay. That's the, and that's a, the, the key for leaders. If you're leading an organization or a site or a setting that needs significant change, you can't, you can't have that change occur in the yard. It won't happen there. That's, you're not going to get what you need there. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say, yeah, give a little more space so people can innovate, take risks uh, in trying to change the system so that it supports more students. Am I hearing you correctly on that? Nailed it. That's exactly right. You know, now that you've worked with just so many leaders, uh, I'm just curious if you have any other additional insights where you are now... uh, the one giving the rope, giving the space for people to innovate. Have you figured out anything in terms of just maybe how to get comfortable with it and that kind of, you know what I mean? There's a reason they're trying to keep everybody in the yard, right? And one of my assertions would be, it's, you know, it's a little scary to give people the rope. So, but what would you say to that? Well, I think it comes back to the, our school systems have been built upon the, the illusion of control. Right. I mean, we have, mm. we have bells that ring. people need to be in certain places. They need to be there on time. We've got, you know, systems in place, you know, tardies and et cetera, for if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it. So it's right. completely regimented. And, and if, uh, and if you really want things to change and get better, you have to be able to stray from that regimented structure. So as, as far as, as you're asking for, you know, big ahas or big lessons, I think we have to remember what we're trying to do, like what actually is the goal. And if the goal is conformity, if the goal is to, you know, elevate certain groups and keep others down, if the, if the goal is to, you know, maintain the status quo and keep people quiet, well, then we could just keep doing what we're doing. But if we really want everybody to have the opportunity to truly be successful, to excel, we have to be willing to be flexible and look at things outside the outside the box as it were outside the yard and look at 
look at a perspective of what is our desired outcome. I think that's where we in, in school systems have really lost our focus over the past. What is this? How, how long since say uh, a nation at risk? That was 1984, right? That was that was the one that really yeah. really started it. So I guess we're talking 30, 38 years. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't think we'd be going back that far. You know, I did look up. You were episode uh, seventy two from my records, and in, in that released okay. in December of twenty sixteen. But now you're bringing us right. back to the eighties, and we can start talking about fashion yeah. choices and music. But uh, let's <laughs> let's keep it focused. Yeah, let's skip that for now. Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about you know education evolving, uh, serving. And helping all students, you know, succeed at, at a high level. And your book, Chasing the Show, has uh, a young man, Anthony, if I remember correctly. And he has his eyes set, you know, I'm playing in the show, right? Major League Baseball. And we have kids like Anthony that have quite aspirational goals. At times, maybe a bit unrealistic. But what would you say, you know, in terms of systems to support a kid like Anthony in his goals? Well, I think that's, um, you know, that's exactly why I wrote the book is to surface that question and to surface the question. Parents, you know, as parents, how are we supposed to nurture and support our kid? Uh, And that goal that we might see as parents or might perceive to be as unrealistic and and almost ridiculous. Right. And, but how do we support the kid and how do we nurture that goal and try to build a plan B in a sense of there's other options out there for, you. I mean, I think that's the, that's the thing, you know, as a leader, I can't just write a novel. I can't write a novel that just tells a story, you know, I, so I've got to write a novel that has lessons and it's got to help kids and it's got to help grownups. And it does, I, I think it provides a service to the profession. And I, it comes back to the idea of who's going to determine what dream is realistic and what mm. dream is frivolous? Mm-hmm. And, and when is that going to be determined? Because you, you've lived for a couple of years, right? And I've lived for a couple of years. I think life and the world will determine if the goal is frivolous. I mean, you'll, you'll find out. You'll encounter that, that wall, that end of this is it. Or it'll open up and say, okay, this is, you can do this. So as parents, as educators, as school people, we don't necessarily, necessarily need to tell our kids, no, that goal's not, that's not a good goal for you. That's not realistic for you. What we ought to be doing instead would be, how do we support you to see that you have other options as well, that you have other skills in addition to this thing that you think you want to pursue. And it's not just baseball and it's not just sports. It could be a goal to be an astronaut, a goal to be a doctor. It could be a goal to be um, an attorney. It could, whatever it is that our kids want to be or want to do, we aren't going, we ought not be the ones that say, no, don't do that. That's not a good goal for you. Right. The world will, the world will shake them out, you know, in, in the end. And what we want to do is, is nurture and support that goal and provide that foundation that there's a plan B that would be equally rewarding and fantastic for your life. What I appreciate about what you shared there is just the, the key concepts of nurture and support. So even with Better Leaders, Better Schools, you know, I've told the story a million times on the podcast, but I remember showing my journal to friends and family and sort of the plan, you know, the, the seed I was planting there. I received so much pushback and so much that's not going to work, which wasn't helpful. 
And being a chief ruckus no. maker, I, I wasn't going to listen to that anyways, right? I wanted to know, how do I make it work? So anyways, yeah, support and nurture. And I, I think that I think that reflects the mom in the story too. I don't remember the, uh, the exact line, but it's towards the end of the book and she's talking to her son and she's reflecting on like a, like a communication sort of strategy she learned from some friends. And uh, I think what I remember is like just withholding that judgment. There were four parts to it and that kind of thing, but just the support yeah. and nurture and, and essentially the, the message that I got from what she was saying is we're always going to be here for you. And we want to, we want to listen and know you right deeply and support that, that version of yourself. Um, but I'm, I'm sure I, I messed up like the listening strategy and the four parts to it and that kind of thing. I don't know if there's anything you want to clarify there. Well, you know, you've, you hit the big idea on the head there. And one of the cool things that I was able to do in this book is I had the, the parents of this young man uh, befriend a school counselor and a school psychologist who, mm. you know, talk them through from the professional standpoint, you know, kind of as parents, you know, here's some ways that you can approach the situation and here's what's important as parents, um, which is really kind of a neat, uh, neat thing to add to it. And I remember as I wrote drafts of this and shared them with folks and, you know, I had folks tell me, I don't want to read a book to learn something, you know, I don't want to read a novel learn something. So I had to kind of shrink some of those sections so that they were still appealing and entertaining and kind of kept with the flow of the story. But I wanted to weave that information in there because it is a young adult book. And I really would encourage parents, coaches, teachers, counselors, administrators to read it alongside these young people so that you have those conversation points because there's good lessons for adults, just like there are good lessons for kids woven throughout. Absolutely. And one of those, just the importance of knowing who, who you're standing in front of, right? Whether that's students or staff. And so I'm wondering if you have any uh, just advice, you know, for the ruckus maker listening. Maybe they believe the myth that you have to really separate the professional and personal as a quote unquote leader. And they're timid to get to know their people or their students. So what, what would you say to them in terms of just knowing the people in front of you? Oh, you know what? Um, I'm thinking back to what you said a minute ago about sharing your journal and how that, you know, indicated a level of vulnerability for you to say, hey, this is my plan. This is my goal. This is my vision. It's like a dream that I'm, I'm sharing with you and I'm putting myself out there. And, you know, you had people that say that's absurd. What's your problem? Why would you even think about doing that? I don't know if they said all those exactly, but you know, the, the big idea. And, you know, in my experience as a building principal, it's those moments where I was most vulnerable as a human being in front of my staff that I got the best feedback from them. You know, saying, you know, Pete, we can tell you're a real human being right now, as opposed to I'm the leader and I make decisions and I, you know, I'm in charge of this and I got to make sure this happens and I'm coordinating these. And I'm always very serious about making sure these things are happening. And the reality is we're all travelers on this journey together. And we sit in different spots in the ship. We're all on the same ship though. And we're all trying to head to the same place and we're going the same direction. So while our roles are different and the way that we engage in the work is different, the nature of the work is the same and what we're trying to accomplish we have in common. So my, you know, my number one piece of advice for leaders is to be real, to be genuine, honest, authentic human beings because you're leading people. You're not leading a school. 
you're leading the people in the school. And that's, that requires human connection. So good. Human connection. Awesome. Well, I want to keep pulling on that thread and talk a bit about uh, making a ruckus. Uh, We're going to pause here just for a second to get in a message from our show sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Learn from Harvard faculty without leaving your home. Grow your network with fellow school leaders from around the world as you collaborate in case studies of leaders in education and business. Apply now for our June 22 cohort at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Pete Hall, who was my guest in December of 2016, episode 72. And here he is joining us again, and we're talking about his latest book called Chasing the Show. And so you know that this is about uh, making a ruckus, that this show is focused on that. And I appreciate you using that language, too, in the show. That really means a lot to me. Uh, But tell us about, like, how is the book Chasing the Show about making a ruckus? Well, here's what I have found in in my experiences and um, in school and in sports and in clubs. Our focus, our coaches in particular, focus tends to be on the program. It tends to be on winning. It tends to be on the final score and the wins and losses, et cetera. And I'm a believer that when you're working with young people, whether you're working in an athletic setting or an academic setting or a recreational setting or an activity setting, whatever it might be, our focus needs to be on developing these young people. That that's the focus. It's, it's not I mean, the winning and losing will take care of itself. And of course, if you're keeping score, you, you play to win. And I get that. The, the thing that I have found is that, and I even wove a, a, a little moment of this into the story. And you may recall early on in the beginning that the main character, Anthony, hurts his shoulder. He goes to school, you know, a day or two later and he runs into his baseball coach and the coach makes the comment, oh, man, I hope you get better soon. Don't make me go looking for a new shortstop. And it just speaks to the idea that from the coach's perspective, it's about the, how this injury has harmed the team and the team's future and what's, gonna, what's that going to mean to the program. And of course, the coach is going to look at it through that lens. However, when the coach is interacting with the injured young person, I would hope and I would, you know, I would think that 
the coach would want to say, man, I'm so sorry that you hurt yourself. I hope everything's okay. And then after he turns around, he can mutter to himself all he wants about, you know, man, I'm going to have to go find a new shortstop. We wanted to connect with the human kid that then helped to develop and nurture that first. So at what's kind of woven throughout this story is the idea of how are we doing that? Are we tending to the human beings in front of us? Or are we so preoccupied with our, in our lens on our our team, our program. And if, it, if you look at it from the, the ruckus making leader perspective, it's, are we so focused on my school, my data, my, my impact, my influence, as opposed to, yeah, well, when we say we have 73% of our kids, you know, reading at whatever level, that means 27% of them aren't. So what are we doing with those 27%? Do we know them by name, by face, by skills, by hobbies? I mean, to what extent are we really supporting the kids, as opposed to looking at things from a from a ten thousand foot or thirty thousand foot level. Yeah, they're more than just a number, right? Every one of those twenty seven percent has a whole story and life behind it. And uh, what you're saying in terms of knowing and connecting the threads, right? To to know the people that are in front of you, like do you understand them at, at such a level that maybe you can support and nurture those other types of dreams that might invite them back into, you know, the fold of school and help them be successful there. So thank you for um, highlighting all that. So Pete, you know, prolific writer, I stopped counting at five books because you got more. (laughs) And uh, a lot of those, I think the majority of them are nonfiction. Now this one, like you said, young adult focused, uh, it's a fictional book, although there's some autobiographical, you know, components to, to it. I'm very curious, like, what was that What was that like for you going through the process and being creative through the framework of fiction? I love it, personally. I mean, I really enjoy writing. I always have. You know, I got stories from when I was a kid that I wrote. And yeah. I used to just, I have a whole anthology of short stories that I've written over the years that I've, I'll probably never do anything with. I'll never get wow. published or anything. No yeah. one else will on the planet will ever read them <laughs> except for me. But it, I mean, I really enjoy doing it. so writing, you know, the trade books through leadership and, you know, for educators and for principals, et cetera, that's, that's really fulfilling work. And I've, I believe that has an impact and I've really enjoyed doing that a lot. There's also a certain formula to that, you know, how we write that and how we weave research into it and, and how it's laid out in a way that makes, you know, hopefully it makes an impact in the educators' lives, writing a book like this has a, is a totally different beast. It's, mm. it's carte blanche to have whatever you want to have happen can happen. And, and this is what I tell kids when I do, you know, school assemblies and that kind of things is this is your opportunity to create whatever world you want. Yeah. And you can, you can put yourself in there. You can keep yourself out of there. You can put other people, you know, in there and put them in all sorts of situations. You can do whatever you want when you're writing, you know, fiction like this. And it's just, it's, it's just joy. It's just so joyful to be able to write like this, especially, especially in terms of, you know, this particular product, because I do believe it's not only entertaining for readers, but it does have an element of usefulness to it. So mm-hmm. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I can't wait to find out what happens as Anthony grows up and, and gets older in the yeah. next one. Okay. So there's a number two coming. That sounds good. Um, what did you learn about doing doing the work in public, you know, and just having yourself out there in what Seth Godin would call shipping, right? But you're in the arena and you're out there putting out the, the work. So 
What have you learned just about showing up in public and doing it? I think that the uh, probably the biggest lesson that I've learned is to just be okay with who I am. You know, <laughs> I mean, I know that I'm not perfect and I got my flaws and uh, I'm always working on it, trying to get better. And that's, that's, that's the goal, right? I, I suppose, or that's the journey and being okay with the fact that not everything goes exactly the way you want it to go. I mean, I've been just as a, as a side note, I've been doing the audiobook. I've been, so I've been reading the audiobook for this. I've been reading, recording it and it takes twice as long to read it. Yeah. It does to listen to it later because Every single tiny little mistake that you make, you mispronounce a word or you stumble over a letter or you don't have the right voice inflection and you got to back up and you start at the that paragraph again and you read it again. And it takes you a second to you know pull yourself together. And sometimes if you're trying to do voices that you don't match the voices just right. And I mean, so there's a lot of it. And that's another way. You know, that's going to be out there. And I know once that's out there, that's out there. And, mm-hmm. and people are. That you, that's it. It's the same thing when you book, put a binding on it. It's got an ISBN number. <laughs> that's it. It's out there. And so if there are mistakes in there, if there are things that ruffle people's feathers, if it's, if it's not exactly the way you want it to be, you have to be okay with that. You got to say, you know what? I best I could moment that I did it. And here we are. There you go. I think that's good advice because I was recording my audio book too. And the first one I did in my mom's guest bedroom on a card table, Right with my microphone and all the podcasting gear I have. But for this uh, this newer book, since it was done with Corwin and AASA, I just wanted it to feel, I wanted to feel more professional with the whole experience, you know? So I rented Subcat Studios in Syracuse. And now with every little mistake and all this kind of stuff, because there's engineers and people listening, I found it 10 times as hard. And what was really oh, yeah. was interesting for me is like the beginning sucked and the end sucked. But somewhere in the middle, I lost track of all time and was in a flow state. But uh, I, I think there's probably a lesson there, you know, that I need to unpack a bit more. Um, but I, I did find that super duper interesting for sure. That's all in your head. That is, yeah. I mean, that's 100% in your head, right? <laughs> yep, I feel the same. Most likely, yeah. I noticed uh, a bumblebee making some appearances in the in the book. And is that, I'm sure that's intentional. And I don't know if 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 it ruins any sort of, uh, you know, spoilers or that kind of thing. But can you tell me anything about that? I'm just curious. Yeah. So the, the bumblebee is, it's a metaphor and you throughout the story, there's a couple other little metaphors that are in there. I don't know if you picked up on the knocking sound underneath (laughs) the hood of the, of uh, Anthony's pickup truck. Uh, I mean, and that's another one that kind of, it, it surfaces occasionally and is either, acknowledged or dismissed one or the other. And then the story goes on. And so, I mean, that's a a question that I ask my young readers is Mm. what do you think that, what was the representation of that? Because the funny thing is about, you know, a book like this is purportedly it's, it's a story. And when you look at it from the big scheme of things, the wide, you know, the wide swath, it's, it's the story, right? When you look at the fine details, I mean, authors write, each individual word on purpose. And depending on how much we really go back and go through and analyze and say, is this the right word? Do I have this where I want? And then we reinsert things like these metaphors on purpose in certain places throughout the story. The question becomes, well, why? Why did the author, what does the author want us as readers Mm -hmm. to be thinking about and to process? And what does this mean? And how might we 
gather an, an additional lesson from that. So I'm not going to tell you why I wrote the butterfly in there, other than to say the butterfly was intent or the sorry the bumblebee the bumblebee was intentionally um, reinserted at different places throughout the story to to keep a certain um, metaphor going for the reader. Uh, got it. Okay, that sounds cool. Well, there, I really appreciate. There is a that. method to the madness. What I'm saying, there's a method to the madness. Yeah. No, it sounds good. I appreciate that. Cool. Well, I'd love to ask you the last two questions I ask all my guests, Pete. One would be, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world, what would your message read? Well, I would imagine that the marquee is small, so it'd be a short, brief <laughs> message. Um, and it would require people to come inside and ask, what does that mean? Mm. So I would put the message, love the cats. Love the cats. And so, you, you know, you probably just had an image in your head and you're like, I think I know what that means in my head, but I don't know what it means in Pete's head. Uh, so recently I was at a high school and I was, I was working with uh, the kids in the high school and the, the teachers were in the room and kids were really having a hard time keeping themselves focused on, on what we were doing. And so one of the teachers walked over at one point and said, I'm really sorry. You know, it's been like that for a little while now. It's, it's like herding cats. Mm. And, and I remember, um, there's two different ways to interpret herding cats and there's two different ways to go about it. One is you throw up your hands and say, there's nothing I can do. It's herding cats. This is terrible. It's a lost cause, right? Or if you love the cats, it's okay to herd the cats, mm-hmm. right? Enjoy the process. You fall in love with the process because you know why you're doing it. And it's about supporting our kids and helping them out and being there for them. So I don't mind herding cats as long as I, remember that I love the cats, right? And so that's, you know, I've shared that with that story with teachers since then, that it's the idea of if you love cats, it's okay to hurt cats. You're going to be all right when you're hurting cats. If you, as soon as you realize you don't love cats anymore, (laughs) you should not be hurting them. Absolutely. So I would put that on the marquee. Yeah. And probably shouldn't be a veterinarian either. So, Pete, uh, if you were going to build your dream school, right, from the ground up and you're not limited by any resources, your only limitation to your imagination, how would you build your dream school and what would be the three guiding principles? Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, I would, you know what, if if we're not going to be limited by resources, I wouldn't even begin with resources other than a, a spot to gather, you know, a covered, mm-hmm. protected, safe spot to gather. And I personally would kind of go back to in, in my head where the, the elders would bring the, the youngins together and together figure out, okay, so what's important? What do, what do we believe is important to teach our young people to raise them to become, you know, members of our society? What do they need to know? What do they need to do? What skills do they need to have? And then we would create facilities if we needed to. We'd create, you know, buildings. We'd create opportunities. We'd create internships. We'd create, you know, trips and business. I mean, we would do things that we would need to do starting from that spot of the right people sitting down together saying, what's most important to us? And I think that's, that's where I would begin it, would be with the conversation, what's most important to us? In the perfect world, how would our young people be as grown-up members of our society. And we would I'd, I'd kind of identify and clarify that and then get to work building an experience where that's what kind of young people we have in our communities. 
I guess that's two principles. I would, I would go with do those two principles. And, you know, I guess the third principle would be we'd be absolutely, completely relentless in making sure that that's what happens. <laughs> every single one, for every single one of our kids, every single one. What I, what I love about that answer is that it's uh, not trying to add more, you know, to make the experience, quote unquote, better, like whatever better is. And I think a lot of schools would be served well if they chose edges and said, this is what we're known for, and that's it. And we're going to do these things the best. Cool. Well, Pete, we covered a lot of ground today on the show. Of all the things that we talked about, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I think it's it's what you've identified a couple different times is that know the people and the person in front of you. So that. That speaks for a couple different things. One is if you're leading or if you're addressing, you know, a group, a crowd, the, the staff, the faculty, the student body, whatever it is, know truly what they are um, and who they are. When you're in a one-on-one conversation with somebody, pay attention to that person and that person's needs, that person's um, desires, fears, goals. They, those have to be a part of at least the, the thought process as you're engaging one-on-one. And that also speaks for when you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're thinking about what are my goals? What are missions? What do I want to do with my life? And what am I journaling? What dreams and goals am I writing down that I want to pursue? So help me and know that about yourself. So you know what you're going to be incorruptible about and you know, you know what you're going to focus on and you know what your edges are. So I'd stay there. I'd stay in that spot where if you really, truly deeply know, or at least care about and are curious about the person in front of you, I think you're equipped to be an effective leader. Love the cats. Love the cats. That's right. Love the cats. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.